When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. We do it all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes. Start your dream home today with McDonald Jones Homes. Well, right now, you may have heard the news that there's a couple of Mariners in Graham Arnold's Socceroos squad. On the line is Michael Butner, who's on his way to the studios, and also Nick Montgomery, head coach of the Central Coast Mariners. Nick, this is fantastic news with Garang Qual, the teenager, and also Jason Cummings announced in the Socceroos squad this week. Yeah, fantastic news. I mean, look, we, we sort of had an inkling that Garang, Jason and, and, and Danny Vukovic were, you know, on that extended list, but, you know, for them, for, for you know, for Garang and, and Jason to get called in uh, today was fantastic. I mean, massive for, for both of the boys, you know, for different reasons and different journeys on, on their career. But, yeah, obviously, as a, as a club, we're really proud and really proud of them as well. So, yeah, really happy for them. Hey, Nick, I, I saw Garang on the news and, gee, I tell you, talk about a young guy, doesn't talk in cliches, so entertaining, just like his older brother. And he also mentioned that when they were growing up, he'd watch a video of the Socceroos every day. So, really, he's fulfilled a lifelong dream. Yeah, of course. It's a dream come true for him. You know, if anyone knows the story of the of the Quals, you know, they they uh, did it tough. They lived in Egypt in a, in a one-bedroom apartment before you know, coming to Australia. So, but they've they've come a long way. And, uh, yeah, he's, you know, the family's obsessed with football and, and for him, yeah, unbelievable, amazing. But like you said, then he's uh, he's a funny he's a funny kid. He's a smart kid, like his brother. And yeah, the, the lingo he talks, no doubt, that's uh, well well taken by all the youth of today. They're definitely a little bit different than, than when we were kids. Gee, I wonder if you go to the record books because would he be one of the youngest squad members of all time? Ah, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, obviously, it was Daniel Arzani a couple of years ago. Everybody was talking about and, and yeah look Garang's now he's, he's not even 18 until until the end of this week so for him to be called in is, is massive and just got yeah he's got impressed now and, and put his hand up to to get in, the, in that squad for the World Cup Mick I've got to say mate um, you know he certainly has had a massive impact so early and, and you think about players who've had that in their career and how they've just come in and Barpe comes to mind Messi Ronaldo they just the good ones they just stand out, and it's great that Graham Arnold has recognised this and rewarded him for his achievements. Yeah, definitely. And look, he's you know he, like he's he's not had that much first team football, but the impact he had for us off the bench last season, and people saw what he did against Barcelona. So look, it's all right talking, but when the time comes, you got to step on the pitch and do it, and, and that's what Garang did. So I think you know, Graham Arnold will be looking at some players in this squad to see who puts their hand up and, and if he likes what he sees, then look, you know, the World Cup's the World Cup and throwing somebody off the bench when, you, when you're when losing a game or, or you need to win a game, you know, there's, there's no one better than, than Garang and then he put Jason Cummins in that bracket as well. So it's two, 
two two that he should definitely have a good look at. So yeah, we're, we're glad he is. Yeah, that game against Barcelona, that's one of the most exciting cameos I think I've ever seen. And let's not forget he hit the woodwork. Imagine if imagine if it went in when he beat half a dozen Barcelona players. Can you talk a little more about Jason Cummings? Because that's a fantastic story in itself. Yeah, he just mentioned growing there. Look, he likes the picture when he comes on. Jason's very similar, you know. He's a big, big, colourful character. You know, everybody loves him. And, and again, he came over to this country and I sold him that, you know, come and reinvent yourself. You know, he, a player that had been at Rangers, Nottingham Forest, some massive clubs in England, which shows the talent the boy's got. But he went a little bit, you know, probably a bit wayward for him and made some silly decisions that impacted his, his uh, you know, impacted his reputation and, but that's why he's in, he, we got him at the Mariners. You know, you know, he shouldn't be here. He's, you know, the only reason he's here is because he needed to reinvent himself. So, you know, to bring him over and and, and he's the one that's been on the pitch and scored the goals and assists and got in our all-star squad as well. So, look, he's a very, very talented player. And, and right now, the, you know, the national team struggled to score goals lately. And, and you've got an out-and-out goal scorer there that, you know, he, he's, uh, his conversion rate is, is quite scary, to be honest. And he's just a great guy as well. Some of the upcoming matches will be against the All Whites, and Storm Rue has been recalled. Yeah, Storm Rue is, is again, he's a player that came back after a couple of tough years at Melbourne Victory when they went through a tough period, and I brought him back because I personally played with him. I know the boy, he's a, he's a top boy, and, 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 and he's a very talented player as well. So, look, he's, you know, he's reinvented himself as well, and again, really proud moment for him to be recalled back in after a couple of years in the wilderness, and for us as a club to have three players you know, in this uh, in this setup, plus Danny Bukovic, who you know he's he's back in the country now, and he's spoken to Graham and and, and, the, and the goalkeeper coach, and he's he's a good great chance to go um, to the World Cup as well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're delighted as a club to have you know two or twelve players in the, in this setup. Hey Nick, both yeah. of Butes' boys are talented players, outstanding players, and so Butes, I'm sure you'd like to talk to Monty about the Joeys. We've got a bunch in the under 17s. Yeah, some fantastic news there um, for the, the young Mariners players. And again, Monty, this is probably a reflection on what you've managed to set up there at the club, you know, some four or five years ago through the academy program. But several of the young boys be called into the under-17s Joey's program, uh, which is great news for them. No, fantastic. Look, one thing that I always found difficult was that there was a massive lack of Mariners players in national teams. And that's something that I spoke in length about to, to the people at the top that picked the, pick the teams for these national teams. It always seemed like there was West Sydney, Sydney boys, Melbourne City, and, and, and you know, a lack of respect to the, the, the teams like Mariners, Jets and Adelaide, for example. These clubs that maybe don't have this, you know, the budgets the other teams have, but they've got very, very good young players and you need to come out and watch them. So, you know, to have boys in the under-17s, under-20s, under-23s last year with Farrell, Mizzy, Lewis Miller, Alou, you know, I think people now are really taking notice of, of the young players at the club. And again, that's for us, we're really proud of that. Steve, you know what I love about this, Nick, is the fact that not only has it been great that they've been recognised, but this could well and truly be the kickstart for their career, not only in the A-League, but because soccer, football is the world game, there are so many opportunities for these young boys to be had uh, all across the world, and that's got to be exciting for them. Yeah, look, I, I made no no secret of it, and I always said that you have to be playing, you know, A League football number one before you go overseas, you know, to do it properly and and crack it in this league. And if you do, then yeah, there's clubs all over the world that, that look for players here, 
and, and again getting young players in national teams and and getting them into the A League. You know that's a that's a good pedigree for them and. You know, you're looking to set them up to, to, to have the ability to go overseas when they're ready. Hey, Nick, the other huge news is Tommy Rogic. So he's mm. off to West Brom. I mean, that is massive after what he's done in Scotland. Yeah, I spoke to Tommy, actually. I was texting him today. That's that's funny you asked that. So obviously I followed his career and, yeah, he took a little bit of time out after Celtic. And, yeah, it's a big, big, big move for him. Look, championships are very, very tough league. I know more than anyone after playing for in that league for so long but yeah it's exciting it's uh, it's the best league in the world you know in terms of excitement and trying to get promoted to the Premier League so yeah it's, you know, it's good for Tommy and hopefully it all goes well for him Now Nick I know you're on a tight time frame but uh, the Mariners have announced a, a women's head coach uh, Dan Barrett's coming back into the, the fold for the for the women but obviously in terms of the W League that's that's not been announced yet hopefully we get the W League next year and, and yeah no doubt there'll be plenty of applicants for that role as well so um, mm. yeah well, we're trying to build the club and and trying to uh, get get young young girl players in and young boy players at, at the right ages to develop them. Monty, I, I, just one last question for me, mate, and, and it's just uh, I did notice on the uh, the website the Mariners paying tribute at the passing of Queen Elizabeth, um, uh, and we've seen the impact that it's had all around the world. Uh, mate, what did it mean to you, uh, and how did you take the news? Yeah, look, obviously devastating news for for, for, for everybody, but... You know, she was. Uh, you know, she she served the country, uh, oh, and not just England. She served. Uh, she served uh, you know, for a long time, over seventy years, and and, and the monarch. So yeah, it looks really, really, uh, yeah, cra- crazy when you think about how long she she served uh, a, a massive, massive job in, in what she did. Um, so yeah, it's, it's probably hard for me to put into words, but yeah, obviously a lot of talk about it and. And she's well respected all over the world. Um, but yeah, for me, it's yeah, sad, sad for her passing. And now it's a big job for for, for Prince Charles to step in and, and carry on the work that she did. Yeah, you guys, you're not as old as me, but uh, Buttes, we used to at Palm Beach Primary School back in the late seventies. We used to sing "God Save the Queen" every morning at school. Yeah, yep. And uh, now we'll be singing the tune of "God Save the King," mate. Um, and it's, you're right, he's got very big, big shoes to fill, but uh, uh, he's been groomed for this for a very long time. And I think he's seen his mother perform probably like no other monarch uh, that we've seen. And uh, I have no doubt it will be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, funeral service the world has ever seen. Incredible, Buttes, because she devoted her entire life to service. Yep, just phenomenal. Amazing, yeah, without a doubt. There's people camping out all around London to just to see, you know, just to see the coffin. It's amazing what she did. So yeah, yeah. Nice touch. Nice touch by the Central Coast Mariners. Nick, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, thank you so much for joining us at very short notice. Congratulations to these boys, Garang and also Jason, that have gone into Graham Arnold's squad, and we wish them all the best. And thanks so much for your time. Cheers, guys. Anytime. Have a good day. Nick Montgomery, head coach of the Central Coast Mariners. This is Saturdays on the Coast. We do it all thanks to Robson Civil Projects celebrating their 60th anniversary. By the way, if you'd like to work for Robson, simply jump onto their employee portal and you can be working for a third-generation company. They're not just here on the coast. They're in Sydney, also right through Newcastle and the Hunter Valley. And nowadays they're out in Dubbo as well. So huge infrastructure projects happening out there. And they want the best and the brightest in 2022 and beyond. Robson Civil Projects. Thanks also to McDonald Jones Homes. You can start your dream home today with McDonald Jones.
This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN and our next guest coming up in just a few moments' time, John Strange, Premiership winning coach with the Sydney Roosters in the NRLW. Last weekend in the NRLW, three nail biters. The Gold Coast held on against Parramatta, 18 points to 16. 1918, St. George Illawarra defeating the Brisbane Broncos. Then on Sunday at the new Allion Stadium, the Sydney Roosters get out of jail with a late runaway try to Isabel Kelly, 18-16 over the Newcastle Knights. Let's go to John Strange, the Premiership winning coach. And John, welcome back to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, g'day guys, how are we going? Yeah, we're well, and this Sunday is the triple header in Gosford, so every NRLW team will be on the Central Coast, and your team, the reigning Premiers, take on a team that's desperate to maybe push their way into the top four, the Gold Coast Titans. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's going to be a tough game, like the Titans had their first win last week against the Eels, and uh, actually played pretty good, to be honest. I've just been watching their game this morning. And, um, yeah, they're looking uh, looking good. But, as you said, they're desperate. Um, it's last game, last round for them. You know, they need to win to put themselves in the semifinal. So, um, yeah, we're expecting a hard game, that's for sure. Hey, uh, before we go any further, what about last Sunday? And what a special moment for the Strange family with your beautiful daughter, Jasmine, scoring on debut. Yeah, it was. It was great. Yeah, it was Fairly early in the game as well, and um, which I which I thought was good with it with a day booing. I just thought that'd be good to um, settle her down and help her confidence. And um, yeah, look, I think it did because she had a great game, especially defensively. She she came in and jammed the girls um, from the Knights when when it was needed. So yeah, I was just really happy for her. And how did you let her know she was making a debut? Uh, I just called her up actually. Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> live live with me anymore, so I just. Uh, called her up and told her she was um, yeah, going to be playing against the Knights. And, um, yeah, yeah, she was excited. and um, But I knew she was ready to go at that stage. So, um, yeah, but she was she was pretty happy about it, that's for sure. What about her journey to come back from an ACL injury? Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, for anyone, you know, having that injury, so I think it's probably the worst injury you can get in rugby league to come back from. So, yeah, it was a tough 12 months for her and, um, you know, a lot of rehab and building herself back up and, yeah, spent a lot of time in the gym, you know, with the rehab, but also building the rest of her body up so that so that when she came back, um, she was going to be, um, you know, stronger and, and faster than, um, you know, before she did the ACL. So, yeah, she put a lot of work in and, um, yeah, and it was a just reward for her, in, in especially how she played against the Knights. Are you harder on your own daughter than you are on some other players? Oh, I don't know. I, look, she, she would probably say I am. Um but, uh, look, I try and be fairly even across the board, you know, to be honest. I have coached her at Central Coast level and I'm pretty direct with her when, um, you know, I need her to do things a little bit better or, or improve in certain areas. But I am, you know, pretty direct with everyone. So, uh, yeah, I think if you asked her, she'd probably say I'm harder, but I, I feel like I'm the same. Yeah, I feel like I should clarify that because sometimes you're trying so hard not to appear to be biased that you go the other way. Yeah, look, yeah, that's right. Um, look, I had a lot of practice, I guess, with my son. I coached him, you know, for a lot of years um, over at the Entrance Tigers and then, at, and then at Rep Footy on the Central Coast. So, yeah, I had a bit of practice there and then obviously had a couple of years coaching Jazz. So, 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I feel as though I'm pretty even, but I, I guarantee if you probably ask both my kids, they might say something different. <laughs> but she's been a, a star at every level and even represented country New South Wales. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, before she did her knee, she was having a really good season. Uh, that was last season, 2021, and uh, she was actually the top try scorer um, in the Harvey Norman Premiership. And, um, yeah, and like you said, represented New South Wales country in the women's uh, against City. So, yeah, she was having a really good good season, and um, obviously the ACL sort of put a dampener on that for her. But, um, look, she's she's been going well, and um, as I say, always she's still got improvement in her to – you know, to reach her potential and, you know, she's not afraid of hard work and, and putting the hours in to, to achieve that. So, yeah, just really happy for how she went on a, her debut, but it's um it's only the start of a journey. Hey, the legend is alongside me, Michael Butner, and uh, he hasn't got a word in, so he wants to ask the next question. <laughs> Butes, Butes, take it away. Yeah, it's been an outstanding year, strangely, for Isabel Kelly, having picked up the New South Wales Female Origin Player of the Year Award. What change have you seen in her since given the responsibility of being the captain of the side. Yeah, Buttes, um, look, a few people have actually mentioned that to me, that they've seen her sort of go to another level. And, like, I've, I've coached Izzy at Central Coast level since 2020, and I made her captain that year. Just through just through seeing her, she was in pre-season around the rest of the girls. She's a, she's a real natural leader. Uh, the girls all respect her. And I, and I just feel as though naming a captain this year with the NRLW squad's um, it's just given a lot more confidence and, um, and, you know, she just leads by, by her examples, but also her words at training, um, you know, pre-game at halftime and that she's always got some valuable things to add, add to, um, to what we're trying to do out there. But definitely on the uh, field, I, I have seen her go to another level as well. Yes, yeah, Strangey, the team remains undefeated. It's a completely different position to where you were at the, earlier this year, scraping into the finals. How does this affect the way you coach the girls? Yeah, look, it's um, probably an old cliche, just taking one game at a time, which which we are. But, yeah, I, I really felt last season we obviously had a slow start and we weren't playing great um, and we were building um, each week. So I was really confident that given the opportunity for the girls made the semifinals that they could actually go all the way and, um, you know, as, as they did. But uh, this one, we've, it was really important for us to get away to a good start, which I was really happy, especially round one against the Eels. Um, but it's still the same. It's still the same theory. We want to just keep building and getting better. Um, it wasn't our best game that we played on Sunday against the Knights, but we've had, you know, a couple of meetings and, and video sessions with all the players and um, just a few key areas that we let ourselves down. So um, hopefully we'll um, rectify those and then, you know, against the Titans, we'll put a really good showing in and keep building towards the semis. And what has been the key to the team's progress and success over the past eight to nine months? Their confidence is sky high and their ability is improving each and every game. Yeah, it is. Look, it's it's really important to me um, when I'm coaching that I, I, I try my best to help every player become as good as they can. But um, but also, you know, and I feel like that's what's happened, but it's, it's really a credit to the girls because they've got to be the ones putting the extra work in before and after training. Uh, and, and trying, you know, to get the best out of themselves. And I really feel as though the girls have done that. And, um, you know, you can see the rewards on the, uh, you know, on the field. And I do say to the girls when they're out there practising, I, I say that, you know, I don't believe practice makes perfect, but practice makes you confident. And, um, you know, and I really feel like that's um, had a big impact on, on, on all the girls because they are putting the work in themselves. Hey, John, you had a, a scare on Sunday against the Newcastle Knights in a top-of-the-table clash and 
Isabel Kelly scores that runaway try to seal the deal for you guys. And this week, you've made a host of changes. Tell us more. Yeah, look, it's um, we've got a couple of girls um, that are sort of carrying some niggles, and I want to sort of freshen them up for the uh, semi-final, um, you know, the next week. But it's also about giving the girls that have been training in the squad, in the squad of 24, an opportunity. Everyone's been working really hard. Every single player is up to this level. Um, so it's about giving them an opportunity. And, and also we've got to look at next year where, um, you know, the, the competition's going to expand with the four new sides. So it's also about giving these, these younger girls in particular a taste of NRLW now so that, you know, they're ready to go next year because no doubt we are once again going to lose some players um, because there's, you know, obviously four new teams coming in. So we want to make sure that we're continuing to develop um, all the young girls in our system. And, John, you've got a couple of debutantes. In fact, I believe, are they both from the Central Coast? Well, we've got um, Shannon Rose, who's from the Central Coast. Yeah, she's been playing for the Berkeley Vale Panthers for the last three years. So she'll be debuting on the on the wing. Um, we've got Jada Taylor, who's originally from Tamworth. She'll be debuting at fullback. I'm um, going to rest Sammy Bremner. Um, and um, we've also got um, Angelina Katoa, who's going to come off the bench. Um, she's she's also debuting, and she played Harvey Norman for North Sydney. So, yeah, three girls this week that are debuting, and it's, yeah, it's really exciting for them. And, mate, does there need to be a Spanish Inquisition? Why is Jasmine Strange going back to the bench after starring in her debut? Yeah, well, it's um, it's it's interesting that you say that because she actually got voted um, young gun of the the week out of all the teams, and um, and unfortunately she doesn't retain a spot. But yeah, once once again for Jazz, like she she actually stepped into um to play for Fres, who who was rested for a week, and Jamie Fresard uh, was was absolutely on fire in the first two rounds, so she gets a gets a spot back. And um, look, it's just a taste for Jazz, and I know she's up up to it and obviously she proved that but um like i said she's got a big future and at the moment she's just got to keep working hard at training and um and you know see if a spot opens up for her yeah lucky jazz is not living at home it could be a bit frosty yeah. around the dinner table yeah exactly right but no look she knows she knows the situation she's in and she's got a really good attitude of just uh working hard earning earning the opportunity and if she gets another one which she will um, she'll take advantage of that again. And uh, you probably noticed, but Karen Murphy, rugby league legend, she stayed with the same lineup for her Gold Coast side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, same seventeen. Which is, um, yeah, that she's tinkered with the changes over the over the last couple of weeks, and I think she got it right uh, last week against Para. So yeah, she's sticking with that, which is smart. Um, and, yeah, watching the. Watching their game this morning, they've got a lot of strike all over the park, so uh, it's going to be a really tough match for the girls. Hey, it's the first time you've seen Newcastle or first time you've played them this season. What were your thoughts of the Knights? They've, they've had a fantastic year, and their halfback, Jessie Southwell, whoa, what a star she is. Yeah, she's got a big future for sure, you know, only 17, and, um, you know, she's She's guiding that side around pretty well, and um, and I think she's just going to get better. You know, with, with the experience she's having this season, I just think, you know, in the coming years, she's um, she's just going to get better and better as that as that halfback. But um, yeah, she's been a shining light, you know, for that side for sure. Hey, John, uh, just finally, how do you feel about all six teams uh, triple header on the Central Coast? Oh, obviously, being from the Central Coast, I you know I've been looking forward to it. That's the one I've sort of had penciled in. 
you know, probably with more excitement than anything else because there's there's a lot of Central Coast girls uh, lining up for us. So, and and it's just going to be great that they can get their family and friends out there to support them on um, on Sunday. So yeah, look, it's going to be great. It's also going to be really good to have the other two games there as well, and that creates a, a really good atmosphere. And hopefully, we get a lot of supporters and a lot of young girls that that are playing rugby league get out there and you know see their their stars. Hey, John, uh, thank you so much for your time. As always, we really appreciate you being so generous on Saturdays on the coast. And good luck to the Roosters tomorrow, the reigning premiers. All right. Thanks, thanks, Steve, and thanks, Butes. appreciate your time. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN, we do it all thanks to Robson Civil Projects celebrating their 60th anniversary and, of course, McDonald Jones Homes. Start your dream home today with McDonald Jones. Saturday is grand final day in Hunter Central Coast AFL and there's games at Kalani Vale and also Bado Bay today and it's an all-Central Coast blockbuster in the main game. Joining us to preview the grand finals, Simon Smythe. Good morning, mate. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Buttes. It's always an honour to talk to you guys. The best Central Coast sports show on radio. So a pleasure to talk to you on a very special day for AFL here on the Central Coast. Yeah. Hey, mate, how much do we owe you for that? Oh, look, I'm on commission. I'm happy to come on every week, Steve, and uh, and do that for you guys. But no, it's uh, such a great show. I tune in every week and it's an absolute honour to talk to you guys. Hey, Simon, so games all across the Central Coast, well, Bato Bay and Kalani Vale. So uh, map it out for us. How does it look today? What time do games get underway? Yeah, it's a huge day. And look, normally, Steve, we would run, and certainly before uh, the COVID times, we would run all of our grand finals for our seniors in the AFL Hunter Central Coast at number one sports ground in Newcastle. However, given the upgrades there, that ground hasn't been in use for two years, and we weren't quite sure as a league if we were able to get an absolute guarantee to play all those games there. So we've brought the grand finals back to the Central Coast, and we've all the wet weather that we've had this season, to know that we've got Adelaide Street Oval at Kalani Vale and Bado Bay on Passage Road at Bado Bay that will remain open is just such a fantastic occasion to bring our grand finals, our key event to the Central Coast. So we've got three games at Adelaide Street, Steve. So kicking off with our women's plate, which is our women's reserve grade competition. And that game will be between Cardiff and Lake Macquarie. Should be an absolute blockbuster with Cardiff, the first team through to the grand final, our minor premiers. We then back that up with our women's cup. So our women's first grade competition. And we've got Kalani Vale, Steve, who have come from fourth position to knock off third, to knock off second and to make a home grand final. The girls have got all the momentum and they'll be taking on the might and power of Newcastle City who have gone through season 22 undefeated. And our main game, our men's cup, our men's first grade, first bounce will be at 2.20. An all-Central Coast grand final, as you said, for the first time since 2014 where we have the Terrigal Evoca Panthers taking on minor premiers the Kalani Vale Bombers. So there's Adelaide Street. First bounce, Steve, will be uh, just after nine o'clock. And then just down the road at Bado Bay, Passage Road in Bado Bay, we have two games. We've got our men's shield competition, which is our third grade men's between Warners Bay and Musselbrook, followed up by our men's plate competition, our second grade men's, which will be Nelson Bay, 
featuring ex-Sydney Swans premiership player Craig Bird directing the troops around for the Nelson Bay Marlins, and they will be taking on Newcastle City. So a jam-packed day. Those of you who want to go on the Central Coast, games will be, as I said, at Adelaide Street Oval at Clarny Vale from just after nine, and at Bado Bay, first game there, is at 11.50. Kids get in, kids under 16s get in free. Um, 10 bucks for adults to see some of the best footy that you will see going around in the region. Yeah, how good. And uh, Kalani Val Bombers, they've had maybe their first win, apart from winning the minor premiership. They went 1-2 in the Elliott Davy medal, which is the best and fairest vote count. That was held on Wednesday night. That was right, Stephen Butes. That was held Wednesday night at the beautiful setting at Belmont 16 footers. And the big rooster, Tim Oosterhoff, who <laughs> has become the first 100-goal kicker, 100-goal goal kicker, sorry, in the AFL Hunter Central Coast Black Diamond Men's Cup competition since the great Morris Goolagong. And Morris <laughs> was there on Wednesday night to present Tim with, uh, with his goal-kicking trophy, but also... How great is it, a full forward kicking 100 goals to be able to win the league's best and fairest? And that goes back to the days of, you know, Tony Lockett, Steve, who won the Brownlow medal in 1987. And since then in the elite game, it's been the midfielders medal. So, Tim Oosterhoff, congratulations. He picked up the Elliott Davy medal for the second time after winning it in 2018. And he pipped teammate Josh Mifsud by a point and basically Tim in his speech said look I want to thank Josh for all his great delivery from the <laughs> midfield into me at full forward to help me kick all my goals so a wonderful one-two combo for Kalani Vale could that be a thing uh you know I guess uh, a sign of things to come today yeah and the delivery when he kicked his hundredth came from Joshy who's been an outstanding player at the Bombers and it was kicked off the deck for his 100th and then Fans stormed the field like Buddy Franklin when he kicked his 1,000th. So, yeah, really exciting stuff to see someone kick a ton again in the Hunter Central Coast comp. Yeah, and, and look, Tim described that goal as, yeah, a little bit scrappy. Maybe not the way, Steve, he'd like to have <laughs> kicked his 100th goal, but, hey, you'll take it anyway. And it was great footage to see all the crowd storm onto the ground. We might have to be really careful with security at Adelaide Street Oval <laughs> this weekend if he puts some more goals on and Kalani Bar look like they're storming towards victory. But it was great to see the kids out there, and that's what it's about because those young boys and girls may aspire to be a Tim Oosterhoff one day and, and play first grade football for the Clarny Vale Bombers. So great that they were able to go out and meet one of their heroes and a wonderful occasion. Not not very often, Steve, that we get 100 goals kicked in a season at any level of AFL. So for Tim to be able to do it um, is a wonderful, wonderful achievement. Yeah, he's been a revelation. I think he played second grade in WA, so you, we know how good that football league is. And when he left, he was a tall, lanky ruckman. Now he's a real unit at full forward, and I'm glad to see him win for the second time. Uh, there was some money on Rick White, who also had a fantastic season, uh, you know, sensational player. How did he poll? Yeah, look, he was uh, not in the top three for Kalani Vale, so I think it was pretty hard to get votes there. Rick, of course, um, a stalwart of the Kalani Vale Bombers and had so much experience and class to their lineup. Still voted quite well, but not in the top six in the competition where, yeah, there was a few Kalani Bell names that got read out and, and Tim and Josh being right up the top. So I know that um, that Tim said this on Wednesday night. I know Rick would say this as well. As great as it is to win those individual accolades, these players are going for one thing, and that's a premiership medallion around their necks uh, at about 4.30 p.m. Buttes and Steve on uh, this afternoon. 
and it would be Kaladi Bale's first Black Black Diamond Cup men's premiership since 2007. Yeah, you know, Simon, they've got a real chance to create their own history because not many players left over from 2007, maybe one or two maximum. I think I think Rick White was in that team, but 15 years later. This is a brand new group, and they're a young group, but they've got some some old heads. They're a really nice mixture. Uh, how do you see the grand final going? I mean, Terrigal had beaten them this year, and Terrigal, grand final specialist. So, you know, it should be a cracking game at the Adelaide Street Oval. I agree, Steve. I think you've summed that up uh, really well. Where Kalani Vale, their men's team for the last probably four or five years, have been building, and we've always touted them as a young team, an up-and-coming team, but a team that has great potential. And this season, Coach Corey Shackleton has got them playing to their potential where, as you said, they've got that experience with a Rick White, you know, with uh, someone like a uh, Brendan Lewis who's been there and, and, and you know, played in those big games before. He was captain in the 2014 uh, grand final team against Terrigal as well. So they've got that experience, but they've got that youth coming through. And, and looking at the majority of their grand final team that that we'd expect them to read out um, before the game or line up before the game. A lot of those guys, Steve, I've, I remember watching players, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, <laughs> and now they're all playing. And that's wonderful for the future of football here on the Hunter Central Coast. They've recruited well too, bringing Nathan Smith, who was a Gosford junior, went down as a talented player to Sydney, has played at North Shore at a high level. He's come back and added some real class in their back line. So as you said, they've got a really nice mix, but you can never ride off the Terrigal of Oka Panthers, led by the wonderful Chris Bishop in September. And, you know, they are the only team to knock off Kalani Vale this season. Kalani Vale have only lost one game, and that was in the home and away season. The Bombers won comfortably two weeks ago in the major semi-final to qualify for the grand final. But when you've got guys like Chris Bishop and Jason Van Dam, etc., who have been there and done it on the big stage on so many occasions, and then these young kids coming through, the Ethan Williams... Uh, you know, the, the Jake Hansons, et cetera, um, they've got that nice mix of kids coming through as well. So never ride off Terrigal. It is going to be an absolute belter, all Central Coast Grand Final. There will be thousands of people, probably 10 people deep all around Adelaide Street Oval on uh, in, in a couple of hours, Steve. I can't wait to watch this game. Yeah, and it times out beautifully, Simon, because once you get through the celebrations and the presentation, the blockbuster will be on at the Adelaide Street Oval upstairs at the home of the Kalani Val Bombers. Sydney up against Collingwood in the prelim. We're off to a break. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Simon Smythe is our special guest uh, from Hunter Central Coast AFL and also AFL New South Wales. We do this all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes. Simon, just before we talk about the prelim, what a game it's going to be. The winner through to the grand final, Sydney up against Collingwood. Let's just talk about the women's grand final on the Central Coast today. And I dare say the Bombers women have got some unfinished business. They play their nemesis, Newcastle City. Do you give them a chance later on today? You are absolutely spot on, Steve. They've lost to Newcastle City uh you know, in the last few years in a prelim and in a grand final, close games on that occasion. And, look, they're building momentum. And once again, they've got these young players, you know, Bethany Wood and Sky Bailey, 
who have been dominating through the latter part of the season and in the final series. They've got that momentum. They've beaten fourth. They've be- sorry, they've come from fourth. They've beaten third. They've beaten second. Newcastle City undefeated. Um, they have been the standout team. So for Clarnivale to get another win here for our, our boys and girls on the Central Coast, they need to be at their absolute best. They need to pressure. They need to harass. They need to make the most of their opportunities. Newcastle City will not let them inside 50 very often. So when they do get in there, they need to get the ball through the big stick. So everything needs to go right for Kalani Vale. Here's hoping from a Central Coast point of view that they can bring home the chocolates, but Newcastle City go in the hottest of hot favourites. All right, let's preview the big one and uh, can't wait for this. It's sold out days ago. Sydney 11-11-78, defeating Collingwood 7-8-50. That was in round 22. But, I mean, what about their win a couple of weeks ago, week one of the final series? They knocked off the reigning Premier and now they're just in the box seat to make another grand final. Oh, Steve. And that game you mentioned, round 22, against Collingwood at the SCG, which was a sellout as well. I was there, and if the atmosphere wasn't electric that (laughs) afternoon, wait till (laughs) 4.45 this evening, Stephen Butes, because the SCG and surrounding suburbs are going to be pumping. And, you know, Collingwood, they always bring a crowd. The Swans always bring a crowd. So tickets for this game, I think they got sold out about 11 a.m. on Monday after going on sale at about 10 in the morning. So huge game. The Swans rested. Buddy Franklin, um, you know, there was talk about him obviously being, you know, very quiet, held held to, you know, not a lot of touches against Stephen May a couple of weeks ago at the MCG. But they've got other avenues now. Sam Reid, 2012 Premiership player, he's really stood up in the second half of the season. They've got Logan McDonald, a young, tall player down there that just takes the heat off, buddy. You've got Tom Papley, one of the most exciting players in the competition. And then you've just got a midfield who just keeps on keeping on, led by Luke Parker, led by uh, Chad Warner, led by Will Haywood and Ollie Florent, uh, etc. So, look, the Swans are in the box seat, Steve, with a you know 45,000 people cheering them on at the SCG. They're one win away from the big dance and travelling down for what will be their first grand final since 2016. And Buddy, in his nine years at at the Swans, hasn't won a flag. They've made two grand finals with Buddy, but they haven't got that elusive flag with him in the team. So he's hoping from all the Swan supporters that they've got two more wins left in them. But Collingwood, what can you say? They've just... You know, they've blown every record out of the book this year, Butes and Steve, because they've won so many games out of their 11 on the trot. Sort of 10 of them were by under seven or eight points. It's remarkable. They are always in the game. And even at the three-quarter time siren, if they're behind by four or five goals, Craig McRae, their coach, will have them believing and the players truly believing that they can win that game. So. Can't wait. Can't wait. Bring it on. Yeah, well, I thought their game against Geelong where they went down narrowly, that's one of the best finals I've ever seen. And if you look at the highlights, some of the best goals that have ever been kicked and somehow they're on the wrong side of the scoreboard in that game. They defeat Fremantle by 20. Uh, You know, it's just shaping as an absolutely massive, massive game. I can't wait for it. I'll be next door, actually. I'll be at the South versus Cronulla second week of the National Rugby League finals, but the hottest ticket in town, Swans versus Collingwood. It sure is. And, yeah, as you mentioned, that Collingwood-Geelong game, Steve, the AFL final series, the games have been elite so far. They have been absolutely elite. So for those of you who are listening to the program and may not 
be a fan of AFL, tune in tonight because this game is going to be fantastic. The skills on show, the courage. It's often said that preliminary finals are the best weekend of football because there's everything to play for. The quality of footy is just so, so good. To make a grand final is just what all these teams are wanting to do. So I will be absolutely stuck, glued to my chair, waiting, cheering on the Swans, hoping they get up. And, uh, yeah, that hottest ticket in town. I've uh, made a lot of friends (laughs) over the course of the last week or so, Steve. So, um, yeah, very popular come this time of year looking for tickets. But they were long gone, long gone, I reckon, 10.30, 11 a.m. Monday morning. Yeah, just one more quick question. I think it will all come down to pressure and tackle count. Like, last time they met, Sydney won that. Uh, 72 to 53. Then when Sydney played Melbourne, their stats were off the charts. So if they can replicate that, I think they'll march into the grand final. I hope so, Steve. And you think of some of those moments, and I can think of Dane Rampey where, you know, a Collingwood player very late in the game, in that game sort of three or four weeks ago, was running into an open goal. Sydney had already won the game. Uh, There was only a couple of minutes left. And Rampey to chase tackle, win the ball back in the goal square. That shows the desperation, the hunger from the Swans players. They haven't won a flag in 10 years. So the the 10-year premiership reunion was marched around the SCG a couple of months ago. These players could be making their own history. So I'm with you. Their, Their pressure is elite. They win the ball. They use the ball. They've got stars all over the ground. Buddy Franklin, you know he was quiet two weeks ago. He has got either this week or next week a bag of goals in him. Could he channel, could he channel Steve, Tim Oosterhoff from up here on the Central Coast? Could he kick a big bag? Let's hope so for all those Swanee supporters listening this morning. Yeah, and credit to John Longmire. I mean, what a super coach. He's already won a premiership. Let's not forget, I mean, he played with your team. Superstar player back in the day as well. You're, you're a North Melbourne man, aren't you? Oh, I am North Melbourne through and through. And John Longmire was, you know, growing up in the 90s, um, he, he was... Um, you know, I guess on the scene just before Wayne Carey and, and was a North Melbourne player to win the Coleman medal. He then suffered really bad knee injuries, missed out on the 96 uh, premiership uh, with North Melbourne and then was able to get back and play in the 99 premiership, which was his 200th and final game in the AFL to finally win that elusive flag that uh, he missed out on through injury in 1996. So he's been at the Swans a long time, obviously was uh, director of coaching prior when Paul Ruse was coach, has been the coach since 2011, won a flag in 2012. And you look at the Swans, Steve, I think, you know, in the last 20 years, they've missed the finals once. Like this is one of the most elite sporting clubs in the country, in whatever sport or code that you follow. He's a wonderful coach, and I actually feel as though in the last couple of years, he's transformed the way that he coaches. He used to be quite defensive, contested footy. Now he's got a group of players who have got leg speed, who have got flair, who have got attacking attributes, and he's using their strengths. So really love the way John Longmire has transformed himself as a coach. Um, He's coaching as well as ever. Um, As long as he's got eight more quarters and two more wins left in him, um, he will be a very, very happy man. Hey, just finally, have you got a highlight from the Hunters Central Coast competition this year? Yeah, look, I think the main one, Steve, you know, you'll say, look, after two COVID-affected years where last season we couldn't play finals, that just to get through a full season is the highlight. So everyone will acknowledge that. What I'd like to acknowledge is that in our grand finals today, we have five games, so 10 teams playing. Those 10 teams are from eight different clubs across the Hunter and the Central Coast. So I feel that that reflects 
the great work done by the clubs, the coaches, the volunteers, the players, and the depth of football talent that we have across the whole Hunter and Central Coast region. So that is my absolute highlight. We've got, you know, from Nelson Bay to Musselbrook to Terrigal Avoca lining up today. That's what excites me. Simon Smythe on Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. He is absolutely brilliant, Buttes. And look how long we've spoken to him for. So generous on Grand Final Day. And as he said, there's games right across the coast at both Bateau Bay Oval and also the Adelaide Street Oval, where the main game will be played this afternoon between Kalani Vale and Terrigal Avoca with the first bounce at 2.20. The show all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and McDonald Jones Homes. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN, all thanks to Robson Civil Projects celebrating their 60th anniversary, and we thank them for their ongoing support. And also McDonald Jones Homes. Start your dream home with McDonald Jones Homes. Well, Butte's... This week, I've got to say I'm extremely lucky that I had the chance to talk to Mark Hughes, two-time Premiership winner and also from the Mark Hughes Foundation. Mm. Can you believe they've raised almost $30 million? It's a phenomenal effort from a guy who, you know, probably just goes on from what he's done as a player. Like, you know, very underrated, uh, very, I guess, understated in the way he went about his business. But, you know, he always got the job done, whether it was with Curry Curry whether it was with the Knights, whether it was with New South Wales, he always got the job done. And he's getting the job done now with the Mark Hughes Foundation. Yeah, with his wife, Kira Lee. They founded yeah. that in 2014 and just an incredible success story. Butes, uh, this might be a little painful for you because he talks about 1997 and mm. the transition from Curry to the Knights. He makes his debut in round nine but wins a premiership later on that year and En route to the grand final, they go past the North Sydney Bears. Certainly did, yeah. It was the preliminary final, and I remember it. Uh, and he talks about, I'm sure he's going to touch on the tackle by uh, Darren Albert because, my goodness, what a tackle it was. And it was it was the game changer. Uh, you know, a lot of people remember Darren Albert scoring that try in the grand final to win it. But they wouldn't have got there if it wasn't for that tackle by Darren Albert. And it was with five, ten minutes to go. And Matt Sears was running away. And he was one of the quickest players in the game. Darren Albert was the quickest player in the game, and he ran him down in the corner. Yeah, I'd like to see Darren Albert on the track. I mean, uh, what a set of wheels. He had some wheels, and he could move. And uh, you know what? Again, those Newcastle players will never forget the fact that Darren Albert pulled down Matt Sears. Yeah, where is he these days? Does he show up at any of the reunions? Dar- or? Darren Albert? Yeah, well, he's. Uh, I, I think he's living up on the Gold Coast. I, I played with him in a uh, charity game uh, several years ago. Uh, and he was still as quick as ever. So the little whippet that he was. Yeah, and uh, also in this first segment, so we're three weeks away from a grand final. He'll talk about 1997, the big day, and that it was more about just the footy team. They felt like they were carrying the entire Hunter Valley on their back and BHP had closed down. So they were playing for more than just 80 minutes of football and the uh, the premiership trophy. Let's go, to, let's go to Mark Hughes. This is from the Perfect 10 podcast. And he starts talking about his journey at Curry in 1995. For me, um, you know, I, I worked really hard as a local league player. I made good choices. I could have um, went down other paths that some of my mates went down. 
but I was focused on my journey. Um, I, I, there was a deep inner belief that something special um, might, might, might happen if I, I stick to my guns. And I think, um, you know, very grateful that I, I did that. And I think, um, you know, for anyone in life, if, um, if you've got a dream and you want to believe in yourself and you want to live and breathe it and get up and chase that dream, you give yourself a really good chance. And um, whether it's footy or whether it's professional or, or family life, I, I encourage people to really chase their dreams. Yeah, I just want to say congratulations too because I just finished listening to your podcast with Dermot Brereton and it is absolutely outstanding, mate. Just so good. One of the best podcasts that I've heard. Now, Dermy, who I remember fondly, he's a five-time premiership winner with Hawthorne, and I still remember him strutting his stuff at centre-half forward. A bit of a bad boy of the AFL at times, a guy you yeah. love to hate. But, gee, he's done a fantastic interview with you, mate. Oh, that's, that's you know, thanks, mate. And um, it was great to talk to him. He's obviously a legend of AFL. I'm not, a, I'm not big on AFL, but, look, he seems like a humble, nice guy, and it was really, really great to chat with him. And, um, you know, I do the odd podcast along the way, and if I can, someone listening, and they might get something out of my chat, that might inspire them or make them feel better, then it's worth every minute of my time. Yeah, well, he kind of skimmed over Curry, but I want to I want to talk to you about that Premiership winning team. So, Butes and I, we spoke at length yesterday about this. You've pretty much got the best seat in the house to watch a player by the name of Ewan McGrady weave his magic at Curry. Yes, Ewan McGrady. Now, uh, listeners might remember him from his days at Canterbury and he got a Rothmans medal. Um, and didn't want to turn up for the night or something. But what a magical player. And, yeah, I was 18. And, you know, Ewan was um, on the way. He, I think he was mid-30s. But he, you know, wasn't the best trainer, wasn't at the front in the 400-meter <laughs> run-throughs. But, wow, what a, you know, just on game day, he would just deliver this magic. You know, it was, uh, it was for me, uh, as an 18-year-old, I'm so grateful that I wasn't in the Knights junior system and that I was around men real men, you know, and local local guys that, you know, <clears throat> that played 200 games for Curry Curry and are local legends and good people. And I learn a lot off those types of guys. And um, it was really important for my – to win a premiership at Curry was huge. I, I didn't think I, – I didn't think footy could get any better for me. I was 18. It was 1995, um, and we won this premiership. The town, the way they <laughs> – the workers' club, what the, the way that we celebrated, it was it was unreal. But uh, things were going to get a bit better um, down the track. Yeah, absolutely. Steve Lenane in that team as well. Yeah, Steve Lenane, um, Dragon Knights to the to Curry, and he was the captain coach. And I just owe so much to him. He gave me an opportunity. He orchestrated Curry's wins. You know, he'd put the ball into touch. He'd start a scrap. He'd um, you know, he'd he'd pass the ball. What well, everything he did was the right moves to make sure Curry would win. And Steve Lenane, we won three premierships and had his cousin and brother in the team. Um, and, yeah, they were a huge part of um, Curry's amazing run of three premierships. So you hear these days, you hear people say, play what's in front of you or eyes up football. You hear that term quite a lot. But I'd imagine at Curry, that's exactly what your team was all about. Yeah, it was great local league, and every every team had sprinklings of NRL experience in their team. Uh, it was a really great comp to be a part of, and especially at our home ground at Curry, there the crowd were on top of you. They were very vocal. Uh, no, no opposition team liked coming there, 
and we'd just play some sparkling um, rugby league, um, <laughs> passing the ball and these all these great tries and. Yeah, it was really good footy to watch, um, and I, I'm just yeah, I'm really glad. I only had one year of grade, and I'm, you know, I played a fair bit of reserve grade um, and played probably five to eight first grade games, and one of them was a premiership. So I'm glad I got to experience that because I'm a curry boy at heart, and I'm still, I'm still involved in the club in a minor way. I I just I just love the joint, and you know, Johnny Sattler's a curry boy. You know, there's, there's, we've we've produced so many internationals. Eddie Lumsden. Um, there's so many that are curry boys, and we're all proud of it. Yeah, yeah. And what about the team of the century, which you are in, starting at fullback? I mean, there's uh, Johnny Sattler's the yeah. captain of that team. Yeah, there was, a, there's a, there was. A, I'd say I think there's about 12 internationals in that squad, and yeah, that was a proud moment for me because, um, you know, growing up just a curry boy and just love the the Bulldogs, and to to be named in that team was a huge honour. And I, you know, I've got a I've got the jersey on the wall at home, and it sits proudly and it's something that no one can ever take away from me to be in that 100-year team is is an amazing achievement. Yeah, yeah, well said. And so you go from there and you finally get a trial. You get a taste of the Newcastle Knights. What's that trial like and what happens next? Peter Brady, a Curry legend, um, he was coaching the Knights 21s. So basically I uh, played the grand final and then at that point the Mariners were floating around. So I had a big meeting with them. And they were very keen for me to sign and offered me at the time 20000 um, which was a lot of money. And I felt after meeting with them that I'm probably going to have to take that deal and, and go with them. But something deep inside of me said Knights. Um, I don't know what it was. So I had to go the hard way and trial with the Knights rather than sign a contract with the Mariners. And I, I scraped into the 21s that year. I was 19. And that was 1996. Uh, Danny Badiris was uh, in that team. And had a, a solid year there. You know, I didn't break records, but I had a good solid year. And I, at the end of that season, there was no guarantees. I, I saw the Knights start training on the news that, that summer for, for the 97 season. And I realised uh, I wasn't there. So I rang Steve Lenane, who, who was in the, as a Knights uh, reserve grade coach, and sort of said to Steve, I'm not there. What's, what's happening here? And... From there, the Curry Boys looking after Curry Boys, I um, I got a trial for the 97 season in reserve grade. Yeah, what a great story that is. And so you make your debut, is it round nine of 1997? What's that memory like for you? Yeah, so back in them days, you'd play reserve grade and come off the bench in first grade. So the first time I went on the field uh, was against Gold Coast in, on a rainy night up there. And I come off the bench and managed to score a try. We got beat in that game. Um, but I just remember getting home and I had some curry mates come down and we celebrated all night. I just couldn't <laughs> believe it. It was unreal. And then my first starting game was against the Roosters on a Friday night at Newcastle. Uh, it was raining and we had a draw there. But, wow, I just, I'd made the big time. I just I couldn't believe I was out there. The noise, the, the pace of the game. It was, I just was pinching myself, you know, yeah. I was 20. I, I, was, I was in the local park playing 18 months earlier. So, wow, it was, yeah, it was surreal. Yeah, take us inside the culture. So who's driving the culture at that point in 1997? And you mentioned about going from park footy straight to the NRL. I mean, what's that transition like? Well, driving culture, that's an easy answer. Uh, and that's Paul Harrigan. You know, I've never been involved with a better leader uh, in my life than Chief. And we had blokes like Mark Glanville and Tony Butterfield, seasoned, hard, 
been there since 88 when we started. So they were our forward leaders. But then we had the magicians, Andrew and Matty Johns, who did a lot of coaching with Mal Reilly, uh, helped structure the team. Uh, Matty was a real student of the game. Uh, Joey was more natural, just a natural uh, footballer. But Matty would work really hard on his game, probably, yeah, extremely hard on his game to, to get where he got in the game. So we had this mixture of some really great seasoned senior guys. And then we had these young outside backs. Um, Owen Craigie would have been 18. I, I was 20. Matt Gidley, 19 or 20. Adam McDougall was 21. Darren Albert, 20, 21. So we were very young on the, in the outside back area, but we had some really tough, hard leaders in the forward pack. And then, you know, a young, a 21-year-old Andrew Johns who was playing State of Origin and, um, and Matty Johns steering us around. And, and what a leader in Mal Reilly. It's not what he said. It's I think the way he did it. And I'll never forget one day we were uh, in the um, pool doing our rehab after a game, <laughs> and we decided that um, we'd do underwaters. So each per we'd, we'd try and see who would go furthest underwater as a bit of a comp. And um, you know I I did it and might have got 15 meters and <laughs> if I'm lucky. And we all had a go and did pretty ordinary. And Mal. Mal got up out of the grandstand and walked over and he and put his he took his suit off. He always looked at a million dollars now put his speedos on came over and then he we all parted and then he, and he goes and he 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 was just going so slow underwater like a turtle but he kept going he kept going he did 50 meters underwater which was which was 20 odd meters further than any of us and i think that's his way of saying you know you can do anything and i'll never forget that moment yeah what an absolute legend of the game he is is he back in the uk yeah, he is. His son lives over here uh, in Newcastle. But, um, yeah, I've been, been lucky enough to be uh, really close with Mal post-Rugby League. Um, he lived here for a while, and I got to yeah know him really well. And, yeah, I hope he's going well over there. He, he's a good age now, and um, but I'm sure he's still fit. And, you know, Mal, he, he, he didn't really want to talk about those days where he was so tough and what, what gladiatorial-type behaviour that he used to do. He was so nice and prim and proper and but now and again it would come out naturally and I remember one day we were doing boxing and Stephen Crow challenged him to a fight so they both <laughs> went in the ring and I led I led Stephen Crow into the ring as, as as his trainer and I think Matty Johns might have led Mal in and they went at it and Crowy put one on his nose and Mal saw red and it just was on it was on for young and old for about a minute and then Paul Harrigan had to jump in between them but yeah, what a leader! And as like I said, not he's more of an action man leader where you just you follow his example. Yeah. So '97 must feel surreal because do you ever feel like the moons were aligned? I think you come from behind against Parramatta. North Sydney have got you on the rack. They look like making the grand final for the first time in about forty odd years. JT has an off day with a boot. I think he misses all three mm. conversions, and yep. you guys get home. So. You're on this roll in 97, then you take on the juggernauts that are manly. Yeah, look, Parramatta uh, were a good team that year and could probably think themselves unlucky. They were beating us, like you said, by 20 points at half time um, in the first semi. And then, yeah, with North Sydney, we're a very good team. And, and I'm sure Mick's told you all about that. But yeah, just a little bit of luck their way, um, particularly uh, Darren Albert's tackle on Matt Sears, which was out of this world. Sears, he was running about 70 metres and, and Albie got him right on the try line and uh, he couldn't get the ball down. It's 
must go down as one of the best tackles ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you throw in um, the off day from JT with the boot, they would think themselves very unlucky. But it just felt like it was meant to be. It was just the town was buzzing. It was electric. And um, we just felt we had this real common cause, more than just a team. We were a, we were a community we were, we were playing for our town. BHP had closed earlier that year. There was a little bit going on in the town, and we, the town needed a boost. And I think once we got there, grand final day, there was this inner belief that we could we could do something very special here. Yeah, I've got to admit, they're some of the best images I've ever seen in national sport, where the whole community has embraced your team. Yeah, I, I learned a lot about community at a young age from there. I, I, I know they lifted us and they, they helped us lift that trophy. And I sort of felt said to myself, you know, I'm going to put back into this community because what they've just done for us over the last month, I'll never forget. So, yeah, to, to witness that as a 20-year-old and see the difference they make, see, see them lining the streets as we were leaving, see them lining the streets as we get home, back at the workers' club. Um, we had this parade <laughs> three days later. We had, you know, 100,000 people spread around Newcastle, you know, as we drove through in our cars. They were just magical moments and no one that was ever there will ever forget that. And they still talk about it now. I know it's old news, but we just can't let it go. And um, it was just, yeah, just a, a magical period. Mark Hughes, and that is from my podcast, Buttes, The Perfect Ten. And so he steps through going from Curry, finally getting a trial at the Newcastle Knights. But I love the fact that he said that he felt like playing against against the men was more beneficial to his career than actually being in grade at the Knights. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, you could see, uh, and that was part of his game, but, you know, when you have that experience against real men, and he used the term real men because that's how it was back then. They were real men and, they, you know, they're playing in the bush. So, you know what, they were hard uh, and he learnt, he would have learnt a lot. And, you know, to be playing alongside the likes of a Ewan McGraney and Steve Lanane, you know, he's got some really uh, guys with a lot of experience and a lot of skill. Uh, so, you know, it would have been for him a massive eye-opener. But also, when he does go to the Knights, he's got two other geniuses there in Matt Johns and some guy called Andrew Johns who happened to yeah. go okay. They, they went to school together. Yeah, yeah. And uh, grew up just down the road from each other. So suddenly you've got this, um, you know, this connection that they've had for a long time and he can fit in. And then you think about the real men that he played with at Curry. He actually had some real men in his pack as well, the yeah. likes of Mark Glanville, Paul Chief Harrigan, and Tony Butterfield, plus yeah. the other guys there. But they were the ones that led the way. And, and you know what? It was a really good combination in terms of or balance of that side. And it was no coincidence they had the success they did. How are you feeling, mate? Because he spoke, oh, spoke about the Bears. Mate, I'm still crying. My tears are still rolling <laughs> down my eyes. But it's okay. We'll cope and we'll get on with it. I, I have no doubt the next section – the A1 grand final is going to come up at some yeah, stage. and There'll be more tears, I can it, assure you. It's going to hurt more. So are you okay if we talk about that in the second hour? Oh, look, I don't think I have a choice, do I? <laughs> I don't think I have a choice. Yeah, well, you've heard part of the podcast and just how lucky are we to have an hour with Mark Hughes? Oh, look, he's an absolute champion guy who I think, you know, if there was, um, if there was awards given out for champion blokes, he would certainly be on the podium, there's no doubt about that, and probably be standing on the, the number one dice because what he's managed to do, not only as a player, but what he's done post his career, far outweighs anything he did on the football field. Yeah. Saturdays on the coast, all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and McDonald Jones Homes on SEN. 
Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN, all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and McDonald Jones Homes. I hope you're enjoying the weekend. So much sport on. Uh, thanks again to Simon Smythe with his comprehensive AFL wrap-up. Grand final day on the coast. He is so thorough, isn't he? He knows his stuff. And, gee, what a blockbuster we've got tonight, Steve. Yeah, Butte, I know uh, I know you like to go on a rant and there's some things about the Wallabies that really annoyed you. That game was uh, Thursday night at Marble Stadium down in, down in Victoria in Melbourne and against the All Blacks. One of the great moments in sport, though, the blood is low and seeing the, the harker from the all-black team. Yeah, it certainly is, and it's one of those – it's an intimidating thing to see. Uh, and, I, you know, I admire those players who stand there in front of them and take it on. But, um, you know, a, a great game, 10 all at half time, and, you know, plenty of action to be had. What I do love, Steve, is um, – I know we've spoken to Clarky off the air. Mate, he is <laughs> fired up about what happened last week. Rabbitohs, Roosters – my goodness, he's got steam coming out of his ears. Look yeah, out. He's taken the angry pills, hasn't he? I think he may have. And I don't know what it is, whether he's... I don't know whether Kerry's I, not... Yeah, I, yeah. I think I know what it is with TC, and it's interference for the man in the middle. Yeah. Now, he'll talk more about that, but I know that part of his family is you know, one of the greatest refs of all time from a bygone era. Yeah, yeah, Mitch Stone. What a classic referee he was. and it, you know He what? would have refereed you? Yeah, yeah, back in the day, yeah, a long, long time ago now. Long, long time ago. That's what I can assure you. But what I'm saying is, yeah, I, I think there's been a lot of interference from the uh, the bunker, and it's and I, have they got a feel for what's happening on the field? No, they don't. They're seeing. They're watching it on TV at one thousand frames a second, mate. It, it's so different. It is so different to watching it to actually being out there and, and you know feeling the game. And I think that's the thing they've lost most of all that feel for the game. Yeah, let's go to the news. Back with Tony Clark, Premiership winning coach locally in just a few moments, and we'll also play part two of Mark Hughes talking about the two thousand and one Grand Final Saturdays on the coast on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEM brought to you by Robson Civil Projects. Grant Robson, the managing director. Greg Ferguson, our great mate. Daniel Bosley, mm. who, who was at the Trojans' long lunch we love their team, uh, and we thank them for their ongoing support. And, of course, McDonald Jones Homes. Buttes, start, start your dream home today with McDonald Jones Homes. Well, we're rising as one in the man cave, and uh, the great Tony Clark joins us. Premiership winning coach on the Central Coast with Wyong and also the Woi Woi Roosters. And TC, we just want to start with last weekend. Wow, I mean, what a game Sunday afternoon at Allianz. Do you feel like they went too far with the seven Simbins? Uh, it was like a day at the Wild West at the OK Corral. What were your thoughts? Yeah, good morning, boys. I, I thought that um, uh, the referee, Ashley Klein, um, handled it handled it as well as he could have. You know, I, I, I think I, I do believe that the, the bunker does have too much influence, but that's a, a story for another day. But... Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a case of uh, someone someone holding their heads uh, and, and, and keeping their heads, and uh, and the other mob just lost it. I can't believe that um, that they were that the roosters were just so undisciplined in uh, in, in in their performance. You know, from from 
Radley trying to be the the toughest fella in Sydney, and and Jared uh, was was just mad. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought uh, um, I thought that uh, um, the Roosters, um, you know, the South South of course were very good, but but to me it was more that the Roosters lost the game. Yeah, you know, TC, I've never heard this in over a decade of working with Buttes. He was just snarling like a junkyard dog. Yeah, I'm growling. I just <laughs> it frustrated the hell out of me watching that game. If that's a punch by Victor Radley, then my goodness, our game. Has... Yes, but Michael, Michael, we have to act on uh, what we... we're playing. Well, what we're no. playing today. No, no, and, no. That, and that's the thing. What we have he to do. Had, you know I'm what? He had a clenched fist. There was no punch there. He just put his yeah, hand across but the. But still, why? Why have a clenched fist? Uh, you know what? So, right. But you know what? Okay. I'll give you that one. I, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with that one, okay? Because it was the softest punch I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, but don't right? forget, Ashley Klein didn't rule on that. No, so correct. that's, he that's didn't. decided no. from upstairs. That's the bunker. Correct. And again, these Muppets upstairs who are making these decisions, right? Then we look at Totola. Right, who pushed someone in the head? He put his hand on the head, right? And Victor Radley comes in, right, as third man in, and makes a couple of pushes and shoving and whatever else, right? Let's look at the incident. Let's not look at the player who's doing it. Let's look at the incident and go, okay, are they worthy? Because I've got to be concerned. If we're looking at consistency and you want to go down that path, then suddenly any player that pushes someone in the head, we're going to get Sinbin. And that's ridiculous. I just felt that they took away from a battle and a contest. It was a semi-final, and there was guys that were going hard. And I know it's 2022, but it doesn't take away. It, it, for me, it took away from the game, right, the fact that we have got so many guys in the sin bin rather than talking yeah. about what a great contest it and, was. And, you know, it's yeah, – no, You go, TC. Yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, I still – I'm sitting in my lounge room still really enjoying it on, on Sunday afternoon. I thought there was some ridiculous the – thing, the, the, the thing we have to do, Michael, is – and we've spoken about this. We spoke about this, Michael, six months ago when we did a, a show from Terrigal Trojans and you had Billy Harrigan on. Mm-hmm. The referees need the feel for the – and I talked to to Kerry's uncle, or, or I call him my uncle, the, the, the legend, Michael Stone, about mm-hmm. the refereeing um, uh, uh, status at the moment. And – what they need is the feel for the game again. And Steve-O said it in the in the first sentence. Ashley didn't he he didn't um, uh, like uh, like uh, penalise or, or do he saw it and but all of a sudden he's got someone in his ear. Correct. What we have to do now. The, the 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 thing is now, Michael is as I said, it's 2022 and 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 we have to play what's in front of us now. The thing they have to do now is stop the players. Like if you tell me like. Latrell and I love the kid. I love what he's probably the best player in the game. I, I love what he does. But for him to place the ball on the ground uh, after copying one, it's a knock on. That's a knock on. It's a knock on play. Yeah, and 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 you go back to to the difference. You know, yeah, there was a couple of roosters things there that I thought, well, you know, like act on it. We and are encouraging. You know what? We're encouraging the players to stay down every time they get hit. You yes. know why? Yeah. Because. They're going to stop the game. They're going to look at it. And the bunker, the person in the bunker, he's going to SIT themselves, HOT, whatever it is. <laughs> they are going to, you know what, yeah. right, and not be able to make a call. You know what, they're not – these referees, when they look at stuff via the video, right, and replays, they don't have the now. So they don't have the understanding. They don't have the particulars of what the match review committee look for, Right. They're just basing on what they see. Yeah, okay, someone hit him in the head. 
you know what, that's not a – just yeah. because – you know what, just because someone gets hit in the head, it doesn't make it an automatically penalty. It doesn't make it an automatic sin bin. And this is the thing that frustrates me so much in our game. There's a whole lot of factors that come into it. There is the level of force. There is whether it was accidental, whether it was incidental, whether it was careless, whether it was reckless, whether it was intentional. All these factors need to be considered – in relation to whether a player should be penalised or not, we are talking a different era. Yeah, 100%. we are talking a different era, and and and, and that's the thing where we need to. Refer- it's been so interesting again with the rise program that we've been doing with the NRL. We completed it with our under thirteen squad at our elite club on on uh, uh, Monday night, and they're all now uh, level one referees. And to hear uh, Robbie Bowen, who I love, who, who who's running it, at, like d- d- he was saying this at the. Like, let us referee. Let us referee. As you said, Michael, let them make the decision and then it gets discussed on Monday morning. Yes. And that's where we need to be. Like Hargraves, I think Hargraves was lucky to stay on the field with a head slam. I thought that was intent. I thought that was, you know, a, a real bad look. But again, again, we have to, with rugby league, it is, you know, we, we can't appeal. Abdo and Volandis, time to go. Absolute time to go. Abdo is as good as the banker we had five or six years ago who didn't know the name of the Cronulla, Cronulla Sharks. Get rid of it. Valandis, honestly, is, is, is killing the game. Have a look at the, at the, 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 the legacy that Gil McLaughlin is going to leave AFL. Is that done the biggest deal? $4.5 the biggest billion. Deal dollars. In, yes, and not a word said, Michael. Doesn't have to be pictured with a coin. Doesn't have to be pictured here. Doesn't have like, please, give me – Get rid of them too, and let's now let's now get back to to getting some rugby league people in there. Because the thing is, Abdo puts his head out the window down there and goes, "What way is the wind blowing? I'll, I'll go that way today." Honestly, I love it. I love it, Cluggy. I love it. Listen, yeah, let's what focus. We need let's... Is some rugby league people because it's not a game for everyone. No, correct, exactly right. I'm with you on and that. And we don't have to. It's a it's a rugby league is a stupid game. But we love it. We don't and have it's to appeal for everyone. We don't have to appeal to everybody. Why don't you Michael, appeal to 100%. the people that love this game and are so passionate about it? I'm with you, mate. Now listen, we've only got a couple of minutes to go. We've got to touch on tonight's <laughs> game, and it's really important we do that. Cronulla taking on who are they taking on? South Sydney. South Sydney, the uh, mighty Rabbitohs, and what and a game that's going to be. How in the world do Cronulla bounce back after losing the unlosable? In the final seconds with Taumalolo crashing over and then Butte and I have discussed this off the air. I think it's one of the greatest field goals I've mm. ever seen from way downtown. 45 metres out, Valentine Holmes nails it. And they've got a prelim. They're a massive chance now. They've got a prelim in far north Queensland. TC. Oh, exactly. Who'd, who'd want to try? I, I, I think they're grand finalists, actually, because, yeah. I mean, as you said then, I know we're running out of time, but. But wow, going up there, you know, 35 degrees, 100% humidity, it's going to be a tough ass where they're just sitting back, smoking their pipe, going, bring it on, boys. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm salvating about, um, salvate, whatever that word is, about uh, about Saturday night. Um, the Rabbit Sellout Stadium, um, you know, it's it's a game. I, 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 as we said, I think both games, you know, a, 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 a a toss of the coin, a bit, but especially Saturday night. I think so, the big uh, test. Yeah. I think the big test for the Rabbitohs. They've had two very big games in the last two weeks, both against the Roosters. You had the opening of Allianz Stadium, then you had the semi-final last week, right? So, or the first week of the finals, and that was a tough game. There's no doubt about that. Latrell is in outstanding form at the moment. Like he's just, he's got this belief about him. 
that he is the best player in the game. And look at what they did with 11 men. 11 men, they score a try against, how does that happen against 13 men? But the, the Cronulla Sharks go into this, into this game, the disappointment of the loss last week, that's going to weigh heavily. But I still think they're going to be good enough. I think they've still got enough in them. Uh, and I love the form of Nico Hines and, and Matty Morland and what they're doing there. And their coach. And their coach, yeah. You know, Craig Fitzgibbon is all about defence, which, you know, is funny because the scoreline last week was 34-32 or whatever it was. It was an absolute blowout. But uh, entertaining nevertheless. Clarkie, how do you see it playing out, mate? Who's going to come out on top? Oh, mate, as I said, Michael, it's just a toss of the coin. But yeah. uh, I, I'm a little with you with the Cronulla. I, I think they've got some footy in them. I mean, Souths um, have have been up now for, for you know, three or four weeks and and, mm. uh, and, and done done so well. But, uh, yeah, I'm leaning a little bit towards Cronulla. I think that um, they'll, they'll take a heap out of uh, last week. I mean, you know, a little bit – no one mentioned it too much when – Valentine laid down, you know, for the last try when they scored. But yeah. you know, uh, it, it's still, yeah, yeah, it, it's a crackerjack. Well, what crackerjack I do, what I, what I do know is, whoever wins this game has to come up against the Mighty Panthers, and they are in outstanding form. They proved that last week against Parramatta. Nathan Cleary comes back after five weeks and doesn't miss. He doesn't miss anything. Like, he is no. just phenomenal. He is so professional, that kid. And, and you know, it was interesting listening to commentators throughout the week saying that. It's a different feel. He was out suspended. He was able to do everything he needed to do. He wasn't carrying an injury, so he was able to train. And, and you know, we worked on his game clearly because those bombs that he was putting up and those floaters, he's just perfected that uh, and it's just added another string to his bow. He's one amazing player. Yeah, yeah well, could, well couldn't, couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Buttes. Uh, TC, can you believe? I mean... I don't know how this happens. We're getting the wind-up from Already. our producer. Already. How can that be? We've only touched on the rugby league. I'll tell you what, you and your rant was outstanding, Clarky. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Right. Yeah. No, look, you know I love the game, and, that, and, and that's, uh, yeah, that's what we need, we need to do. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we, uh, let's, uh, let's make things change. Well, we've heard it here first. Yeah. Abdo and <laughs> Valandis have got to go, according to TC, the benchmark. Well, well, I can't comment. I can't bite the hand that no, feeds me. I'm yeah, better about, not. about to work at the NRL tonight <laughs> and uh, 24th grand final coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. You just so, you just be quiet over there. So, okay? so I don't endorse any of those things TC just said. <laughs> what are those splinters? Where are they? <laughs> <laughs> Great to have you on the show, TC. We'll talk soon. Good on you, boys. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, buddy. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. We do it all thanks to Robson Civil Projects, Grant Robson, and the award-winning team celebrating their 60th anniversary and McDonald Jones Homes back in a few moments' time. Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN, all thanks to our great mates at Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes. Uh, this is going to hurt Butte significantly. He might leave the studio. It's Mark Hughes from my podcast, The Perfect Ten. We caught up earlier this week, and Mark talks about the 2001 Grand oh, Final. Come on, mate. You're killing me. What a win. <laughs> Absolutely sensational. Massive underdogs. They get the job done 30 points to 24. Yeah, um, so... Uh, four years later, from the '97, uh, it was a full competition, so that was a bit different. We had the 
split comp for 97. So it was it was nice to be part of a full competition. Um, and Parramatta had a record-breaking season. They were outstanding. Uh, they were well-coached and they were just scoring points for fun. And they were, the defence was unbreakable and they went in as red-hot favourites. But we, we just had those big match players, um, you know. Looking back at the teams now, you look at our team and it's just chock-a-block full of champions. And, you know, that was the difference in the end. Um, we handled the occasion better in the lead-up. I feel like the week leading into it, we handled that extremely well. And then we came out and blokes like Steve Simpson and Ben Kennedy and Bill, Bill Peden on the edge, uh, they got some room and scored some tries. And, um, you know, we put ourselves without, well, I don't think we dropped the ball the whole half and we put ourselves 24-0 up or something and, you know, the game was pretty much over at half time. Yeah. One recollection I have is I went down for the coin toss and I saw Nathan Kalis and he looked so intense. And then I looked at Joey and not sure if you've seen the movie Cinderella Man where... Russell Crowe's character, James J. Braddock, he's got his final fight, or he thinks it is, at Madison Square Garden. And he's got this look in his eye like this is his moment. And that's how I felt with Joey. There's 90,000 in the house. Joey's looking around at the crowd and soaking it in. And he's using that to motivate himself, whereas Nathan Kalis looked too worried, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, there was another 16 of us uh, in the same mindset as Joey back in the dressing rooms, and I think there was another 16 of um, of Nathan Kalis's in the parish rooms. You know, the, the leading in, we went to the grand final breakfast. We were having fun. We were laughing, and we looked at the paraboys, and we sort of said, wow, these guys are stiff. Um, <laughs> they're, 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 this is getting on top of them. And, um, yeah, maybe that's... That was the difference, but um, that was our day that day. But they they had a they had a wonderful season, Para. But unfortunately, you only ever really remember the Premier. Yeah. Hey, can I also ask? Two thousand and one is when you play all three games in the State of Origin series. So obviously, that's a huge thrill for you, and you show your versatility because I think you play the entire series at fullback, and your opposing number is the great Darren Lockyer before before he makes the switch to five eighth. But it's a series that's famous because someone flies back from the UK for Game 3. Uh, tell us more. Yeah, they, they brought a little leprechaun back named Alan Langer <laughs> for Game 3. Um, but, yeah, look, um, I was just, once again, I probably a couple of injuries went my way, but I played a lot of fullback at times for the Knights and played played some of my best footy there at fullback. And at, at the at that period, I, I was play, had a long stretch at fullback in 01 and, um, I got a feeling David Peachy or someone got injured, sort of opened the door for me and um, went in and, yeah, just really great. It was one all leading into the third game up in Queensland and they brought Alfie back and at home they just were too good for us. But from my point of view, um, just so proud and honoured to have worn the blue jersey and, yeah, it's something that I look back very fondly. Hey, uh, I just want to talk to you about the Newcastle Knights. Uh, your beloved Knights haven't won since 2001. Yeah, they played finals last year, but it looks like they took a big step backwards this year and the number seven jump is almost like a poison chalice since Joey left the club. Could you share your thoughts on why they've struggled since those halcyon days? Yeah, well, I think in recent times... Um, I think we lost Mitchell Pearce at the start of the season. And, you know, yeah, sure, he had his knockers, but he was experienced and he knew how to steer a team around. And when we lost him, we didn't replace him. So these days the spine gets talked about a lot, but it's so important. Your number nine, 
your number seven, your number six, and your number one. Well, unfortunately for us, our number nine got injured early. So really, our number nine was developing, our number seven was developing, our number six, we had lots of different number sixes. We had Kalen at fullback, who on his day is brilliant, but he's had some injuries this year. Um, so unfortunately, he hasn't been on the paddock. So in these key positions, Steve, we, we're just we're not at the top of our game. And you look at the good teams that are still in the comp, you look at their spine, their experience, and their cohesion. Um, yeah, it's another world from us. So we've got to find some answers in these areas. Now, I hear Brooks getting mentioned, uh, but I think he's tied up still with the Tigers. Um, they don't grow on trees either. So it's one thing saying you need a new halfback, need a new 5'8", but where are they? Who do you think is in the box seat to win in 2022? It looks like it'll be hard to beat the Panthers. Yeah, for sure, Steve. Um, you know, I just uh, spent a bit of time with Ivan Cleary at a talk about two months ago and he was talking about the culture and the way they do it and I couldn't have been more impressed. And, um, you know, he's son at halfback. He's fresh. He's ready. I don't want to say unbeatable, but, geez, I reckon I reckon almost unbeatable in the grand final. If they're vulnerable, it might be next game uh, after that big win they just had. But, geez, they're a good team. So there's six teams left, but I really feel that, it's Penrith to lose at the moment. Yeah. This might be a little deep and meaningful, but Mark, do you ever feel that this was your destiny? I mean, sometimes I feel that, you know, we've all got a purpose why we're on earth and you won two premierships, but I think you've changed so many lives with what you've accomplished since 2013. Yeah. I've thought about this a little bit and um, like, I know they say that everything happens for a reason, but I think some of the the devastation and what I've seen and and that in this journey has probably made me to think that no, not everything does happen for a reason. Um, but when you look at my situation, I feel like I was in training for this moment. Um, my upbringing at Curry, my resilience, um, rugby league. I had to I had to I had to fight for every meter of yardage, and you know I was not as strong as everyone or fast, so I I had to work really hard at my rugby league. So everything I've done, I've had to I've had to work hard at, but I have shown resilience. Um, I, I, I've I've been involved in the community a long time, and I think the community are paying me back now. Yeah, it has been a wonderful ride, mate. Um, I probably still would change it if I was to, so I could be healthy, but um, I can't do that. So I'm just going to run with this, continue to do my work. I've got work to do, and I'm going to do it till I create history and solve brain cancer. So it's it's exciting. Beautiful way to finish the show, Buttes. Mark Hughes talking about the Mark Hughes Foundation where him and his wife, Kiralee, they formed it in 2014. They've raised almost $30 million and what an incredible achievement. Yeah, certainly is, mate. Look, you know, you can only take your hat off to him and uh, Kiralee and, you know, they've done an amazing job and they'll continue to do it. And uh, there are so many... I know it impacted you, Steve, that, you know, part of that uh, interview there. Yeah, well, I went to the... um went to the website and there's some stories about people that didn't make it. And yep. the majority, the majority don't make it. Yeah, it's the yeah. biggest killer of people under the age of 40, your biggest cancer killer. And that's a harsh reality. Uh, it can't be all fairy tales and it can't be, it's just got to be real. And unfortunately, this is the uh, the bad side of what, what he's trying to do. Yeah, there's a tribute to a young boy who was 20 and no symptoms, woke up one day with a headache. So, you know, well done to Mark and Kiralee and everyone involved and Beanie Round as well. He spoke about Matt Callender and yep. his contribution. So 
an absolute legend, Mark Hughes, and can't thank him enough for coming on the podcast. 100%, mate. Let's wrap up the show, mate. We've got to go. Yeah, finals weekend, prelims. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Uh, then we'll be one week away from the grand final. Saturdays on the coast on SEN.